Osiris. Welcome to Across the Margin, the podcast, where we take you beyond the margin, behind the scenes of the online magazine, and deeper into the stories. Got a, got a good one for you today, and that's because we have a great guest, a musician, um, because we're talking music here today, and just a little business to start um, at acrossthemargin.com. Uh, the first week in uh, December, we're going to be releasing our top 50 albums of the year list. I mean, these are just our favorites, but... What we've been spinning the most, um, you know, there's so many, so much good uh, music that was left off the list, and, you know, we can't get to it all, but these are ones uh, we're happy to shine a light on and celebrate. So that's the first week in December at the website. Um, Also, coming up, we always, uh, at holiday season, we always discount, you know, our books and everything at the shop, so look for that, Um, especially the... uh, the last two uh, books we published, that's um, Jessica Fischoff's uh, poetry chapbook, The Desperate Measures of Undoing. It's so wonderful. And uh, Ian Johnson's The Bounce and the Echo. That's a basketball uh, memoir um, that really takes aim at stigmas and mental health in the sports world. Uh, another excellent weed, but we're real proud of those. We're going to have an announcement soon, uh, too, as our, uh, on our next book. Um, but today, what are we doing here today? We're talking to the Reverend Sean Amos. He's a he's a singer, harmonica harmonica player, producer, and all around exemplar of American roots music. Um, he's a, he's a fascinating, insightful personality with deep knowledge of blues and roots music. Who has been featured on NPR's Weekend Edition, ABC News, Good Day New York, uh, among other places uh, as a performer. Sean has been on a mission to unite people while speaking truth to power through the blues for the past decade. Before that, he made a name for himself as a producer for artists like Quincy Jones and Solomon Burke. Throughout, he has been an evangelist for the American musical tradition of the blues in all its forms. His commitment to the populist down-home approach to his craft was also uh, showcased throughout his long-running series, uh, on YouTube, it's called Kitchen Table Blues. We talked about that a bunch in the interview. It's so cool. Since 2018's acclaimed politically charged, the Reverend Sean Amos breaks it down. Really good album. Amos has been on the road nonstop with the Brotherhood. It's a it's a strong, strong band. It features uh, drummer Brady Blade, uh, bassist Christopher Thomas, and uh, uh, he's, it's a guitar- the guitarist he's he's played with for a while, Chris Doctor Roberts. So. So excited to, I mean, not only is, um, uh, you know, the, his musical background so um, interesting, uh, it's, it's, John's life is, is really cool. When, uh, you know, you're going to learn a lot about him here in this interview, but I really want to uh, kind of steer you towards, um, it, it's an absolutely enthralling piece of writing that he did as part of a four-part series 
for Huffington Post chronicling his, uh, his childhood in 1970s L.A. It's called uh, Cookies and Milk, Scenes from a 70s Hollywood Childhood. Google that. Go read it. It brings you into his uh, surreal and captivating childhood in L.A. where his mother, uh, a beauty queen and nightclub sing- singer, was battling with mental illness. And his father, uh, a talented agent and personal, uh, a talent agent, excuse me, and personal manager, um, he went on to birth the famous Amos uh, chocolate cookie, which we all know is delicious, and you see that everywhere. It turned into an unexpected phenomenon, and in the series, you could really see how um, you know his life and upbringing shaped who he would become, and ultimately his his you know his influenced uh, you know his musical passions and his, his love for the blues. So I, re- I honestly did such a good read. Check that out uh, soon. The Reverend Sean Amos and the Brotherhood will be releasing an album entitled Blue Sky. And uh, um, I have a little taste here for you today. This is, uh, let's listen to a little music before we get into this interview. This is the first single off the album entitled Counting Down the Days.
That's so great. Love love that. Uh, that's just a taste. I can't wait for that album. Uh, and just before we get going here, just a reminder that Across the Margin, the podcast is part of the Osiris Network. Osiris is a global community connecting passionate fans with podcasts and experience about artists and topics they love. Go to OsirisPod.com to see all the podcasts, events, and uh, other fun stuff they got going on over there. That's OsirisPod.com. They have um, a new project I'm uh, super excited about. It's called Jam Just Happened. Osiris and Nugs.net have partnered to present a unique new series called Jam Just Happened, a monthly live music event in New York City where guitarist Scott Metzger will host a rotating cast of musicians for an improvisational jam session. After the show, Osiris will release a podcast companion companion with clips and commentary. Nugs will stream the full audio on their platform. The first event is December 6th at New Blue in New York City. Uh, it features besides Scott, Aaron Magner, Adam Chase, and Jay White. Uh, you can get tickets. You can go to OsirisPod.com uh, backslash jam to get tickets and see more info about the show. I will 100% be there. Um, I find myself at New Blue all the time these days. Uh, the um, Chris Tart and the good people at Thundershout are just putting on amazing, amazing shows there. And this will be another one of them. So um, that is on December 6th at New Blue. Um, so here, let's get into it. Here is my interview with the Reverend Sean Amos. Just dive right in. I don't want to waste anyone's time here. So uh, I'm, <laughs> sure. Sure, I'm sure we have some uh, diehard fans listening who, um, you know, know your story and some ardent fans of yours listening. But uh, I'm sure there's also some that just kind of uh, are being introduced to you and, and your work through what we're doing here today. So I was curious if you could speak a little bit about your backstory or kind of just how you came into the musical world. I, I, I know your story a bit and there's a lot of, a lot of fun it's been a fun journey that you've been on. <laughs> um, I guess the, the, the Cliff Notes uh, version is I'm a, a, a child of, of Hollywood, of 1970s Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I grew up in my my uh, two parents were in different ends of uh, entertainment. My, my, my father was a talent agent, uh, a music agent uh, in the 60s and booked a lot of you know classic rock acts and soul acts and mm-hmm. Motown acts and things like that. My mom was a nightclub singer. Um and I uh, sort of, I guess, entered the family business <laughs> as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a singer-songwriter initially and then got bitten by the blues uh, back in, in 2012 and uh, in a sense just sort of dedicated my, my musical life, at least, to uh, really diving into that genre and keep, keeping that music alive and, and seeing if at the same time if I could you know, push it forward a little bit as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your mom being in the business and your dad, too. I mean, the, your home must have been... a uh alive with music is that the case what was, what was yeah the um you know a lot, a lot of uh, all, the, all the all the usual suspects you know classic atlantic stuff you know yeah. Rita franklin and mm-hmm. james brown and, and singer songwriter stuff too you know elton john my dad took me to you know, my first elton, my first concert was an elton john concert that oh, famous awesome. concert he did at a dodger stadium oh no way um, nice. yeah that was my first show and so it, it was diverse but also I mean, more than what was playing in the house I, you know i got to get out a lot you know i spent yeah. a lot of my childhood in, in nightclubs and comedy clubs and sound stages and recording studios so i think you know more than being sort of a, a consumer of it like any other you know kid i i kind of really uh 
lucky seat to see how you know how it's made, you know, how yeah. this stuff gets created, and so it sort of demystified it for me, you know, and, and, and I understood it was a job, and yeah, you know, I said, and, and that, and that it's, it's it's a lot of work and it's a lot of dedication, and most of it's pretty unglamorous. <laughs> so, yeah, you got you got um, the pragmatic side right side of it right away. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, so I mean, growing up in um, the uh, '70s in LA, it might have been something. I did. I spent time reading um, the Cookies and Milk, the, that four part. Uh-huh. You're an excellent writer too. That was that was a heck of a read. That was a, that was. Oh, thanks, man. Did that? Um, that had to shape kind of you know the way you uh, approach music and just you know that's 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 uh, how how did growing up in the '70s in LA really affect you in that way? I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to unpack, undo the damage and, uh, you know, and, unravel, and unravel the mystery. A lot, a lot um, to unpack there, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it was um, it was a colorful place. It was a, um, you know, it was as I wrote about in, in that in that uh, in that memoir. Sort of, like, it was you know, CD, but not necessarily you know dangerous. Yeah. It was you know magical and, and um, you know and, and sometimes you know impenetrable. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. Um, it's it seems otherworldly. I mean, you know, it was it was a, a, a both an unfortunate and uh, um, and and a, and a rarefied you know place to live. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think it's you know sort of typical of most childhoods. I don't know if it necessarily should be, but yeah. um, but, but but I'm grateful for it. You know, and it certainly gave me a lot of. Uh, and not only sort of the characters and sort of the the environs of the place, it provided lots of sort of you know fodder for me over the years, but just sort of my own um, you know con- my own my own conflicts about the place. You know, yeah. it, 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 it's a contradictory place. I was a contradictory time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I like I, I mean, only half kidding when I say I'm still trying to unpack it all. <laughs> no, it just sounds like it, you're very serious in that, and it's yeah, it seemed like it was it was surreal in a lot of ways, and it's just yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, for sure, it's wild. So you did, I mean, you started out in A and R. I think you were working with Rhino Entertainment and. Shout Factory. So you were initially involved, as we were speaking on, in music in, in a much different way. But you, you always wanted to, um, you know, perform. I'm, I'm assuming too. I mean, I, I kind of came to it reluctantly, to be honest with okay. you. Um, you know, I, I, I think I, I consider myself, you know, above all, also a writer. Um, yeah. And, and, I, and I've always written and I wrote, you know, short stories as a kid and poems as a kid. Okay. You know, little, little, little attempts at songs. And then, um, but I love to write. And that, that's, that's the thing that, that's the activity that gives me sort of the most therapeutic value. And, yeah. and it's yeah, the thing know. where I feel like, <laughs> and I feel like it's a, it's a thing that I sort of have the most, you know, mastery over, perhaps. Um, yeah, if I have mastery over anything. Um, and, and, and it just turned out that writing songs, versus writing anything else was the most immediate way to get something to publication, you know? Sure. Um, and, 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 I, and I liked the immediate, I still do, I like the immediacy of songwriting. You can write something and play it and hear it right away and, yep. and get it out to people right away. And there's not a lot of other formats that can do that. So it's sort of a, you know, a, 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 the necessity of it sort of drew me, drew me to it. Um, or, or it's a trade of necessity, I guess I should say. Yeah. Um, so then that leads to like, well, well, who's going to perform this stuff if you write it? You know? <laughs> and and so uh, you know that with very few exceptions, it's always been me. Yeah. Um, I, I I enjoy singing a lot. Um, the performing thing has been, you know, I think it wasn't until I really discovered the blues that I really um, 
both became comfortable as a performer and really, to be honest, sort of um, uh, understood the value and the importance and sort of the the and, and the sort of joy of of entertaining people. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're sort of like people who are like you know perform the songs and not really concerned about entertaining a crowd. Um, Bob Dylan, you know, most yeah. famously, right? And, and, and then then there are sort of like famous entertainers. And for me, at least for for a long time, I would sort of tend to diminish the entertainers. You know? Yeah, like somehow that was, that was less valuable in some way, yeah. um, or less important. And I realized through having such a love of great blues writers and entertainers like Muddy Waters yep. and Junior Wells yep. and you know, these guys who are just amazing fans, that that is such a um, an essential service, you know, to a public, you know, to help to entertain people, you yeah. know, to help them forget. About, about their their shit for a few you know minutes or hours or whatever um, and Absolutely. so and so so the blues sort of has allowed me to sort of discover the entertainer in me that I didn't know existed previously yeah when did you uh, when did that like blues bug really hit you you mentioned how you know it wasn't until the blues uh, you know gotcha that uh, you, you wanted to perform more when was that what, what, what yeah was that? It, was, it, was, it was it was April 2012 man I remember okay. it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I was invited to Italy uh, by an old bandmate to uh, do some blues dates and I was invited because I was always a, I was a known you know, student of you know of the blues. Mm -hmm. I produced you know blues compilations. I'd worked with some blues artists and some solo artists in my A and R capacity. And so um, this uh, former bandmate of mine just knew that I could you know put together a good set list and that would be authentic and sort of you know hit all the hit all the right notes. Um, and he suspected you know I, I could sing it and would, would enjoy it. And so from my point of view, I was like, well, you know, I'll put together my favorite. <clears throat> Blue songs and all. Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry. Of course, always. I'll put together my favorite blue songs and I'll you know sing them for a couple weeks in Italy. Like what? You know, that's sort of what, what could be wrong with that. Nice. So, uh, but, but I wasn't expecting to, you know, get any anything out of it other than sort of you know uh, a couple weeks of it in Italy. But when I, when I got there and sang the songs for the first time, I, I just was. Um, just sort of, you know, cut wide open, mm -hmm. you know, by, by them and sort of the power of them mm -hmm. and, and, the, and the connection that they had to my past as a, as a black American man and yeah. to my history and my roots. And it, it was just a really, it felt like a homecoming in a way. Yeah. Um, and it really sort of connected a lot of dots for me that I, frankly, I addressed a lot of my songwriting beforehand, like as a singer-songwriter. Mm -hmm. I'd, done, I'd done some earlier albums, an album called Harlem, uh, an album called In Between. Yeah. Um, and those albums were in large part me addressing, you know, an identity complex about, you know, being a, a black American guy who doesn't necessarily identify with a lot of the more stereotypical popular aspects of black American culture. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so, and so the blues sort of helped me singing those blues songs versus listening to them. Um, I mean, listening to them got me part of the way there, but performing sort of got me all the way there. It's really sort of filling that sort of hole in me and sort of helping me reconcile that lifelong you know, identity complex and yeah. making me sort of uh, you know, connect the dots. And so it, it, was, it was a powerful experience. And so and it happens every night I sing. You know, wow. It still happens. Wow. You know, it, That's it's magic. Never going away. That's what it's about. Yeah. So yeah, it April, really is. April 2012, that really, that changed everything for you. You touched that on was it. it. You touched on it a little bit just there and um, speaking to themes that you find in your music. I find your music so, you know, it's soulful and fun and, you know, the blues really, it rocks in a lot of ways, but it's also deeply inspiring and affecting and socially conscious and conscious. And I was wondering if you could speak on how, um, 
you know, a little bit more about those themes that people will hear in your songs and, and how they are, to me, they seem like they're increasingly, um, you know, reflect the times we live in a little bit more. Is that, am I right on that? Yeah, thanks for, thanks for, for noticing. Um, yeah, I think the evolution for me has been, you know, from, from the personal, not necessarily to the political, but, but to the, I guess, more, you know, public. Yeah. Um, and when I first started recording blues albums, you know, initially I, I did an EP, uh, called the Reverend Sean Amos tells it, yeah, and, I was, and I was quickly quickly followed by an album called Reverend Sean Amos Loves You. Mm-hmm. And with those two albums, I was really just expressing my love affair with blues. Yeah, I discovered the stuff, and I, I was discovering singing it. I wanted to do it justice. I wanted to add a few new songs to the great American blues catalog um, that hopefully would, would stick around um, for a while. And so that was all I had in mind. And then when 2018 came around, or 2017, I should say, you know, the year after the election, um, like nearly everyone else in the country, not the world, you know, I, I, I had thoughts and feelings about it. And, um, and so, uh, and so I, I felt a need, and I was driving, you know, on tour through the country mm-hmm. and seeing how things were changing really fast, you know, and then, yeah. then the polar, the polarization was really getting, uh, palpable. Mm-hmm. And, and so I wanted to, um, talk about that and I want to do it you know in, in the context of the blues idiom you know in, in the form which is a you know one of the beautiful things about blues is it, it, it's a simplicity so this is yeah. easy to get it's easy to get inside of you there's not a lot to sort of it's not a classical music or it's you know it's, some music can be kind of impenetrable and then and the medium can sort of make it difficult to get to the message underneath uh, and so the beautiful thing about blues is the medium is pretty simple so it's, so therefore it's easy to get to the message yep. and so I um I wanted to, you know, use that form to tell some, you know, stories about how we're living now. And I got really inspired by freedom songs also yeah. in the 1960s, which, yeah. you know, starts to then blend, you know, blues a little bit with, you know, R&B and soul, mm-hmm. uh, and, and of course, and sort of, you know, gospel. But I, so I, for me, it's like, well, can I, can I write some 21st century freedom songs yeah. um, that, that can speak to time? It's funny, so the album came out in 2018, uh, breaks it down. And it's funny, we, I just got back <clears throat> two days ago, that's why I sent a little groggy, <laughs> for, from, from Spain, we were touring in Spain uh-huh. for, 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 for a week, and then yep. in Sweden for, for that. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, singing the, song, singing the songs from that album now, songs like We Gotta Come Together, and yeah. songs like 2017, mm-hmm. and um, it, it, they, they are, they, they're more powerful now than yeah. they were, you know, when when I when the album first came out. When, yeah. And they and they then there's just less. Uh, you can feel people sort of rallying around them. I get people coming up to me after gigs who say they were just thanking me for, you know, sort of giving them some 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 fuel, you know, yeah. for I, their. I was for, thinking about 2017. You could just rename it every year. It's 2019 now. So yeah. it, really, it really works. And yeah, I mean, there's and and, and that's what's. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do protest music, and I'm, I'm, I find myself drawn to the type of protest music that's kind of uniting these ways, you know, and, and I feel like a lot of your songs do that, um, yep. which is really cool. Yeah, thank you, man. Yep. So um, I just want to shine a light on one thing that you were doing for a little while. It's the uh, it's a YouTube series you had from 2015 to 2016, the Kitchen Table Blues, which uh, <laughs> I love. And um, can you tell our listeners about that? And also, uh, and, and yeah, I, I kind of want to lobby for the series return. I, I, I get I, I get in uh, went down a couple of deep holes into watching them. Those are so great. Thanks. It's so funny. Those things have become real um, evergreen and they've become a real part of our story. I yeah, never yeah, expected. Yeah. You know, yeah. they, it's everywhere I go. It's like you know, the, the 
one of the first few questions I get is about that series. Yeah, you got 90, 90, so, 90 episodes, I think, on YouTube or something like yeah, that? Yeah, we did, we did 90 of them, yeah. and, you know, and, and the views are up there on a lot of them. And people keep, keep discovering them, and they sort of yep. just keep rolling on and rolling on. So yeah. it's, uh, I, I would have never thought they had such a lifespan. Um, yeah, you know, I, we did these 90 things in my kitchen. You know, yep. my uh, house I, I lived in at the time, I'm no longer there in, in L.A., and um, I like to cook, and uh, I invite people over on Sunday morning, and, and I'd make brunch, and, mm-hmm. you know, when we all sort of... Uh, Felt like we wanted to play a song. We'd you know gather on the table and we'd play a song and turn on the camera. One take, one take, no moves. And so it was really, it was sort of, you know, it, it, there were two things. Behind. Like one was this part, it was at the time we did it, we were not touring as much as we are now. Mm-hmm. And so it was really just about how could we get our, how could we get ourselves out to people if we can't get to them physically, you know, in a club in Idaho or you know Oklahoma or whatever. How, how could we get to them virtually? And so that was sort of one of the impetus you know behind it uh and then the other one was you know aside from just wanting to play great old blues songs i still had this you know bug up my ass for a while about you know a lot of a lot of you know rock songs and pop songs and new age songs whatever that were you know essentially blues songs but people didn't hear them as blues songs yeah. because they they were dressed up in you know new wave keyboards or you know or distorted guitar or, or glam mm-hmm. glam pop pomp and circumstance or whatever and I just uh, wanted so I, I was sort of on this mission for a while to sort of, you know, strip away you know all of that sort of covering and just expose you know, the blues you know roots you know from the frame of, of these songs and so there were a bunch of those episodes where it's like you know blues versions of Devo songs and blues versions of Mm-hmm. You know, romantic songs and blues versions of Elvis Costello songs and on and on and on. One, and one thing that came out of it that's proved to be almost as enduring as the episodes is we, we sort of stumbled upon this you know, stripped-down version of Bowie's song, uh, The Gene Genie, mm-hmm. uh, during Kitchen with oh, yeah. and then, then, we, yeah. then we subsequently recorded it on the Breaks It Down album. Yeah, that's been sort of like a standout track for us and it's really sort of proved uh, oh, uh, as, as a durable way to like introduce us to people so but the, I think we, it's funny, we, rec- we we did a few pop-up ones so most of them were in my kitchen yep. but we did like I think maybe 10 of them were like in different right. locations like went to like a, went to an ice cream shop went to like a restaurant somewhere or to a coffee house or you know a hotel lobby whatever um, uh, we just did one for the first time in a while we did a pop-up one in Spain oh. uh, when, when, when we were there last week so uh, we're gonna We'll probably air like a one-off pop-up kitchen table blues sometime soon. Oh, that's fantastic! It's still it's still living in some way. That makes me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm not surprised at all to hear that I'm not one of the only people asking you about that. It's so cool. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's great. So, I love it. It's great. It's so uh, just not. I think just in September you announced the um, formation of this uh, the new band you're doing. It's the Brotherhood. Yep. And that's the a, Brotherhood. That's a power-packed uh, lineup. Speak on the band, Simone. It's really cool. The Brotherhood is uh, Brady Blade on drums. Mm-hmm. Who is uh, uh, been with everyone from the Indigo Girls to Dave Matthews to Ivan Neville to Buddy Miller to Amigo Harris to Daniel Lenoir? Um, his brother is also uh, a drummer named Brian Blade, who's a, a jazz drummer. Yep. Uh, so they're, 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 the two of them are a formidable uh, family. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, on, ba- on, on bass is uh, Christopher C.T. Thomas, who actually played for many years with Brian Blade mm-hmm. in a jazz uh, outfit called the Brian Blade Fellowship. Uh, he's also played with Nora Jones for a lot of years and Macy Gray yeah. um, and, then on, and then on guitar is my longtime uh, uh, comrade uh, Dr. Roberts nice. uh, who has also become lately my, my co-writer mm-hmm. uh, so you know 
we we actually that that group actually played together on the Loves You album in 2015 that we did that Mindy Abera produced. Oh, cool. Um, and so, but it, it was a great album. It wasn't we didn't necessarily have like a sound per se. You know, we sort of like I had written these songs. We all met up, and in some respects, you know, they they served you know, more like you know session players than anything else on that album. Um, and then we sort of went our separate ways. And then last year, I had some gigs booked over in the Netherlands, and Brady was in Sweden, and uh, CT. Uh, lives in Paris so since they're over there on the same continent I thought oh let's, let's play together these gigs so we got together and it was the first time we played since Shreveport when we did the, the Loves You album mm-hmm. and it was dynamite you know the, 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 the energy was great we had so much chemistry and for me personally you know there, there's such strong players and there's such a, a, an intense chemistry between Brady and CT who have known each other since childhood mm-hmm. um, and, and so they, there's just this sort of force that they're playing that is um, as strong as the songs, you know? And so I found myself for the first time on stage for a while with them not um, not totally knowing where it was gonna go. Wow. And like and like and, and being okay with and, and being okay with that, yeah. and being excited about that, you know. And so, um, so we went, we went our separate ways, and then uh, the doctor and I did a bunch of songwriting together, and we ended up getting an album for the songs together. So we decided to record it with them. But unlike the last album, you know, record as a true collaborative, where it's like here are the songs. Yep. I don't know how they, uh, there's no arrangements, there's no ideas how they should go. Let's everyone you know uh, throw in here and figure out how we want this thing to sound. So it was. Um, it was really, you know, it's like, a, I'm at this place in my life where I just want to share, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. so, and I want to share space and I, and I want to sort of um, be part of a collective versus being, you know, the only one, you know, driving something forward. Yeah. And so, uh, and I think that's sort of, you know, the name, the brotherhood sort of, you know, it, it speaks to, like, we need more brotherhood in the world, yep. for sure. Yep. Um, but it's also so, sort of... so special about uh, collaborative art when it works. Yeah, it's man. It's just, you can do things, you know, taking things further together than you could take them on your own. Exactly. You know? exactly. So, so we'll it's been great. So, I'm, I'm, so the album's beautiful. Uh, it's called Blue Sky. It's going to come out uh, early next year. I was just about to we, ask, uh, when, what's the next yeah. album? Was it coming out? So we, yeah. Blue Sky is the name of it. That's the follow-up follow yeah. that breaks it down. Yep. Yep, and um, what we are going to look forward gonna re- to. We'll release it in April. I'm not sure the exact. I don't okay. know if I can tell the exact date in April, but it's sure. about April 2020. Okay. Um, and uh, and the first single's out from it already, uh, which is a song called "Counting Down the Days." Days, yeah, it's excellent. Uh, yeah. So, Thanks, so uh, yeah, anything else you can tell us about the album? As just to whet our appetite, or is it still? Yeah. Still uh, yeah, it's, it's done. I mean, okay. it's, uh, it's, it's it's ten tracks. Yep. It is, um, you know, it, it's 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 expansive. I mean, hence the name. You know, yeah. it, it's there 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 is stuff that's harder, like like the Counting Down the Day single, which is a pretty hard track. Mm-hmm. Um, things that are sort of like real, you know, lean that lean real forward, and that are sort of um, you know, more sort of a you know open throttle and then there's uh, stuff that's lean that's almost like jazzy in a way and there's um, but I think the most important thing for me is that you know when I first started making blues albums you know I, I pretty consciously pulled up the bridge behind me like on my singer-songwriter past you know I, I mentioned these albums I had made New Harlem and in between I did all called Shirley May I think Shirley May I just really sort of put a pretty thick firewall between like that part of my life and my blues life and on this album I really um I sort of allowed myself to let that part of my 
uh, writing and let that part of my sensibility come in. Um, oh, cool. So it's a, it's a blues album, but you know there there are things that are that that maybe a little bit outside that idiom a bit, and 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 things that push the envelope a little bit, and um, and the writing, you know, because Doctor and I were co-writing, he writes music, um, and so you know the co-writes we have, I just was focusing on lyrics. It allowed me to really like dig a lot deeper as a lyricist than I've yes. dug that I've dug in a long, long time. So I'm really, I'm really proud of, I'm proud of uh, the, the, the lyrics on that one in particular. Oh, that's fantastic. Hold on yeah. a second. I've got to decline something. Um, so, sure. uh, real quick, who um, who produces it? I know you've done so much production work with Dirty Dozen Brass Band, Solomon Burke, uh, the yeah. Matthew Sweet. Do you produce, uh, you produce these albums? or? No, I, I, I produce my own EP, but I, I've, I've been enjoying working with producers. You know, I, I just, um, there came a point in my life where I realized I'm not, like, I, I tapped out on, like, being a gearhead. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I tapped out on, like, you know, studio trickery, and I just, and I, and I need the sounding board. I mean, I, was, I would say, in a way, yeah. you know, work, working with a brother is sort of like the next step beyond what it's like for me to work with producers, right? Because, you know, when you work with a producer, you allow yourself to show space and allow yourself to you know, have other input and, you know, sort of release your control freak tendencies. Uh, and so um, I sort of did that, you know, with um, with, with, with producers. And so, you know, Mindy Avera produced the, the Breaks of Down album. Um, the la- sorry, the Loves You album. The last yep. two albums have been uh, Breaks of Down and this one. They've both been produced by James Sayas, okay. uh, who's an L.A.-based producer. He's worked with Social Distortion mm-hmm. and, um, and Jerry Lee Lewis, and he's done a lot of film and TV work and porno for Pyrotos. Okay. So he's actually, you know, trying to and it's a, his portfolio is probably more rock than anything else. Yeah. Um, but he's just a, you know, really brilliant sonic guy. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's, he produced it and mixed it. Um, and so he's just got a an ear that is beyond reproach, and he's got a sense of... He's, 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 he's the ultimate studio geek. Um, nice. and, and, and he's a good collaborator, and he knows, and he pushes hard. He pushes hard, but not you know, hard enough to piss everybody off. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, um, so, yeah, so he produced it, and, and it's... Um, and it's great, yeah. And Ruthie Foster, who's a wonderful blues singer based out of Austin, has a guest spot on it. Right. Um, Kenya Hathaway, who's uh, Donnie Hathaway's daughter, uh, is on it. There's some beautiful sort of a, um, you know, female uh, contributions uh, vocally right. throughout the album. Well, I can't yeah. wait. You got me eager for eager for April already. So. Yeah, man. Yeah, it'll be around the corner. Awesome. <laughs> we'll probably do it. We'll do it. We'll put, we'll put another single out between now and then. Yeah. Oh, good. You're, you're on the. Uh, you seem you tour a lot these days. You're on the road too. Yeah, I just got uh, you know, I was, I was over in Europe for a month. Yep. Uh, we go over to Europe about two or three times a year, and then, and then the U.S. So we just got back from Europe literally uh, Sunday. Uh, I played a Mindy and Barrett Blues Festival over in Florida uh, with Lark and Poe, mm-hmm. um, and so we played that. And now I'm uh, I'm done for the year. We got one okay. day in New York, I think December seventh. That's mm-hmm. it. And then, but no more road work. And then we're doing a short little Florida run in January. There's mm-hmm. a uh, song the 38th Songwriters Festival. With Brian Wilson and mm-hmm. Indigo Girls and Tanya Tucker and a bunch of folks is uh, uh, January 17th through 20 down in, uh, in South Walton, Florida. So we're going to play that and then do a little Florida run after that you festival. Get, uh, probably, probably a little rest before you put the album out and tour behind it. Yeah, and there. exactly. Yeah, yeah awesome. it'll, be busy, it'll be a busy spring in December and fall 2020 for sure. Cool. Well, good luck with everything. I really, it's been, Thank you, know, brother. It's been fascinating, uh, you know, learning uh, more about you coming up to this interview. You've worn so many hats in your days. And you oh, so I appreciate much. it, man. And I love the direction your sound's going, and I really can't wait for the album, and I can't thank you enough for taking the time to uh, talk to us today. Uh, grateful to you, man. Let's yeah. speak soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. Later. Later.
sits like a man and it smiles like a reptile and she loved him she loved him but just for a short while he scratched in the sun and won't let go of his hand man he says he's a beautician and he sells you nutrition and he keeps all your dead hair for making up underwear mm, poor little greenie This podcast is in the loop, the legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.